0: How, how is everybody? Good? Good. Good. How's everybody doing the fast? It's been two weeks, right? We're still alive, right? Not as much clapping for that, right? <laughs> I was joking around with the uh, Saturday services last night. That my one meal yesterday was Chick-fil-A, so I'm like, service is going to be great this week. I've got like holy chicken inside me, like everything's, we're good, right? I got blessed food in in my, in you know, I don't know, whatever, Uh They didn't laugh much last night Saturday either. I said it. Anyways, Um, glad you guys are here. We are working through the book of Acts. If you've never been to the church before, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. We go line by line, chapter by chapter, all the way through until we've covered an entire book. Um, This is a very unique book of the Bible. If you've never read the Bible, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospel, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, The book of Acts is essentially a group of men and women who take the teachings of Jesus. They start living them, right? The church is birthed in the book of Acts. That's where we get the the word Christian comes from the book of Acts. All of that starts in the book of Acts, and we see the advancement of the message of Jesus start to go all over the world in the book of Acts. Now, where we are in the story, we're actually in chapter 15 if you have a Bible. So the fifth book of the New Testament, the 15th chapter. We just covered chapter 14. And here's where we are. A couple of guys had moved up to Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas, okay? They were up in in kind of their home base of Antioch, and they launched the first missionary journey of the Christian movement. So they went about 1,400 miles. They've traveled through the island of Cyprus. They went into what would be kind of central Turkey and a little bit of western Turkey, traveled back and covered a lot of space, And their main objective was to offer the gospel of Jesus to people that weren't Jews, to Gentiles, okay? You're going to hear Gentile a lot today. just means anyone who's not a Jew, essentially, okay? So they get done with this journey. They get back into the area of Antioch. And we talked about last week, now they're going to go into a different season. They came out of this season of just really, really intense work, traveling nonstop, right? Working 24-7 virtually. And now they're going into a season of rest. That doesn't mean laziness. They're going to write. They're going to teach. They're going to do some other things. We're actually going to see today that they do a little bit of traveling and speak at a council in Jerusalem. So they're still doing stuff, but they're in a different season. And so what we talked about last week is this. All of us go through seasons. And when we go through these seasons, we're not to be ambivalent towards them or look up to God and shake our fist. We should be asking questions like, God, what are you trying to teach me during this season? You have me in the season of hard times, or the season of rest, or the season of loneliness, or the season of community, or the season of creativity, whatever it may be. And in those times, God, what's the lesson here? What are you trying to show me? Today, here's what we're going to talk about. And we'll actually cover a little bit of the same stuff that we did last week. But today, our main objective, our main goal is this, that we can, we have the ability to, and we should, because God tells us to, love all people whether we agree with them or not. That means within Christianity, we should love everyone. And people who do not believe the same as us, that doesn't mean we condone their lifestyles or what they do, but we are to love and respect them as well. Who are we called to love? We are called to love everybody. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. So you should have a notes handout in front of you. It has virtually everything I'm gonna say in it. If you have a smartphone, the Uversion app, we're actually working on our, our app for our church, and that'll be very, very convenient when we get that done um, but all the notes and all the, all the verses are in the YouVersion app. And if you have a Bible, fifth book of the New Testament, 15th chapter, we're going to do about half of it, okay? So we're not going to get all the way through it today, all right? All right, I'm going to pray. We'll jump into this, and we'll see where, the Lord, uh, see where the Lord takes us, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us Thank you, Lord, for bringing everyone in this room. Thank you, Lord, for all the people who are, are fasting together right now and taking a time to sacrifice and to focus on you even more intently, Lord. God, we pray for every church in our community this morning. We pray for every great nonprofit, Lord, that we work with, uh, specifically in slavery that we're working with this month, God. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for our universities. We pray for our high schools, Lord. We pray for our police officers. We pray for our firefighters and sheriff's department, God. We pray for our city officials. And Lord, we pray that we can live out the gospel in a way, Lord, that people feel your your, your presence and your spirit, and that we can advance the truth, Lord God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit of chapter 15, and then I will do my best to break it down. All right, let's get started. Some men came... From came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and this brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law Of Moses. So if you have not been with us, at this point in the story, the church is about 16 years old. The church started in roughly about A.D. 33, and the time at this, when we're reading, is A.D. 49, okay? And what the church is doing is it is moving into an organizational mode, right? And so with anyone, right, with any organization, with just people in general, personal lives, we tend to start to get organized after there's a crisis, right? Something bad happens and we're like, oh crud, I should probably be organized about this. We should probably have a plan. And so the first organizational crisis that comes up within the Christian movement, the church, is what do we do with non-Jews who become Christians? What do we do with all these Greeks and Romans who become Christians? And the question was, do we make them obey the Old Testament laws and customs? This is the first big debate. This debate started because a couple of men came, they actually went north. It says they went down, that means sea level down. But they went north up into Antioch from Jerusalem. They went up and and they started teaching the Christians in Antioch that you had to be circumcised, you had to follow the laws of Moses, or you could not be saved. So here's the thing about the Jews. The Jews had been accepting non-Jews into the Jewish faith for centuries. That wasn't a new thing, that had been happening for a long time. But when one came into the Jewish faith, Judaism, you had to to do all the things that the Jewish people did, all the customs of the Old Testament. But that changed when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. And so many of the Pharisees, these were the law keepers, right? Oddly enough, if you've been with us during the Gospels when I was teaching on John or even through the book of Acts, the Pharisees are typically the bad guys, right? Right? We hear about the Pharisees and we're like, ah, the Pharisees, right? They're always against Jesus. I mean, they had Jesus crucified. They were against Paul. They were were the bad guys. What we find out 16 years into the church is a lot of the Pharisees had become Christians, which is really cool. But they still held on to the laws of Moses. But they failed to see, though they worshipped Jesus, they failed to see that Jesus had changed the rules when it came to salvation. So the church in Antioch, which would have been north, right, in modern-day Turkey, it was the prime example, it was the best example of a church that believed what you and I believe New Testament doctrine to be, that we are saved by grace through faith, that we're not saved by circumcision, we're not saved by works, we're not saved by laws, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're saved by the grace of God. So that's why these men went up there to kind of, you know, start talking to the church in Antioch. So after Paul and Barnabas hear about these guys who are teaching about the Jewish Old Testament uh, customs, they had, as the Bible says, serious argument and debate, right? They went at it. It was a little bit heated. And so Paul and Barnabas and a couple of other men decided we're going to go down to Jerusalem to the mother church, the most influential, largest Christian group of people in the world at this time, 25 or 30,000 Christians in Jerusalem, they believe. We're going to go down there and we're going to set the record straight. So they're their, their traveling down. It's about a 250-mile trek, right? They're working their way down there, and it says they kind of stopped periodically in different regions, and they were telling people about how all these Gentiles, non-Jews, were getting saved, right? They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're becoming followers of Jesus. And it says that it brought all the brothers and sisters in these regions a lot of joy. People were happy to hear this. So they arrive in Jerusalem, and they share their story too, right? The representatives from Antioch get down to Jerusalem, and they start sharing what happened on their missionary trip. Ironically enough, though a lot of the Pharisees had become Christians, the Pharisees were still kind of a pain in the butt, right? So they kind of raise up, well, we believe that they should have to follow all these Old Testament things, these customs, and they were called the party of the Pharisees. Now, this would have been similar to today, right? We have a lot of different kinds of Christians, right? We all worship Jesus Christ. We all love God, right? But there, there are certain sects of Christian, Christians now in Christianity that are hyper-conservative, right? Very legalistic. Some of you may have come from that kind of background. I came from that kind of background, right? I was saved in my mid-20s in a very, very legalistic church, and we came out of that. Now, listen. The legalistic Christians love Jesus and they're saved too, but they hold on to a lot of things that are non-essential. That's essentially what the Pharisees were doing that had been saved, okay? So we need to be careful. When we talk about the Old Testament customs, we need to be careful not to confuse that with the Ten Commandments. The New Testament never tells us that we are to not honor the Ten Commandments. Those are very important. But we are free, you and I, in the New Testament and the New Covenant, we're free of mandatory circumcision, we're free of the dietary laws of of Leviticus, we're free of the Old Testament guidelines for living. Those things were important for a time, but Jesus came to fulfill those things. In other words, close that chapter, open up a new chapter. For the time, those things set the Jews apart. They were very, very special, and they reminded the Jews of their dependency on God. Another thing that the the party of the Pharisees thought were extremely important was oral tradition. So these weren't biblical things, not even Old Testament things. These were traditions that had been started over the centuries and centuries and centuries that became very, very important to them. And so they would argue that these things also had to be taught and also had to be performed. Now again, in our modern day thinking of Christianity, if you have friends that are Catholic or Church of Christ or maybe have some different methodologies, traditions, than let's say a non-denominational church does. My in-laws are Catholic. They do the sign of the cross every time before they sit down in mass. There's nothing wrong with traditions like that. Nothing wrong with them whatsoever. But we need to know there's a difference between man-made traditions that may be okay and there's a difference between that and the majors of our salvation that are biblical. And we need to know that our biblical uh, or our major things that we are to focus on as Christians come from the written word of God, not the traditions of men. Okay? All right. Next part. So the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the same Holy Spirit just as He did to us. God made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Okay, so what happens is this. They go down into Jerusalem, And there is a huge council that is meeting, probably in the thousands, right? Thousands of Christians are meeting at this council. And while this huge meeting is going on, a couple of the all-stars of the faith, if you will, right, some of the more prominent leaders that we know of from the Bible, they huddle together, Peter, Paul, James, the brother of Jesus and leader of the Jerusalem church, Barnabas, possibly some other men. And they kind of have a meeting within a meeting, and they discuss how are we going to deal with this issue of of new converts, right? Right? So after some discussion, Peter stands up in front of the whole group, and he's going to address the the central message about grace through faith. Now remember, if you don't know this about Peter, Peter is kind of the unofficial leader of the entire Christian movement. This is the guy that Jesus kind of handed the keys to, if you will. Not only that, because he was highly respected, because he walked with Jesus for X amount of years, right? Not only that, But he was also the guy that the first time a non-Jew ever received the Holy Spirit of God, Peter was there. Peter was the one that taught the gospel to a man named Cornelius back in chapter 11, and he and his entire family received the Holy Spirit the same way that the Jews received the Holy Spirit. So he said, look, guys, if anyone can talk on this subject, I can talk on it. And that happened 10 years ago. So 10 years had gone by since Gentiles had started getting saved. And Peter affirms that God made no distinction between us and them. Their hearts were changed, their souls were saved by their faith, not by doing Jewish customs, but by their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, these people are not judged differently because of their color or their nationality or even their pasts. But Peter says, anyone that has faith Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, black, white, whatever, anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ will be saved by grace. That was his point. And so if you don't know anything about Peter, if you've never been here, Peter was not the best when it came to his patience, right? Sometimes Peter's patience wasn't the best. And at this point, we can kind of assume that Peter's patience was wearing thin because he gets a little snarky and he says, you guys are trying to put a weight on these new Christians that your forefathers couldn't even carry. We couldn't even carry it. You're trying to put responsibilities on on them that we failed at, right? All these Old Testament covenants and all these Old Testament customs. So the argument about the law wasn't that it was difficult. Everyone knew it was difficult. The argument about the law was, can we do it and be saved by it? Now here's the thing about the 10 Commandments, guys, I need to be real careful with this. The Ten Commandments are meant for us to honor. We are to do our best to honor the Ten Commandments, right? And if you don't know those, I think it's Exodus 20. You should go back and you should know those, that we should be honoring the Ten Commandments. Here's the thing about the Ten Commandments, though. Jesus threw a monkey wrench when we started to get cocky, right, and we read the Ten Commandments and we're like, I do all these, I'm good. Jesus reminded us that apart from him, nobody is good. Because he looked at humanity and he said, okay, you say you've never committed murder in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you've ever hated someone, you've committed murder in your heart. (gasps) Uh Uh-oh, right? He says, you say you've never committed adultery, but if you've looked looked at another woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Uh Uh-oh, right? Maybe I'm not as good at these things as I thought I was. And so what Jesus came to tell us was, do we honor the Ten Commandments to the best of our abilities? Yes, but there's no way we can become righteous unless we are dependent on God's grace, dependent on God's forgiveness, and filled with His Holy Spirit. We will always fall short. That's why we lean on Christ, because He helps us. That's why we do that. So we are called to work. We're called to do good things and to have good actions in our life but we cannot earn salvation. So when Peter says in verse 11 that we're saved by grace through faith, Paul echoes that several times in the New Testament. One of them though, in Galatians, he says, those of you who are trying to be saved by your works, those of you who are trying to be saved by the laws, you're actually separating yourself from Jesus. So here's the thing. Are we to strive to grow closer to Christ? Of course we are. Are we to do good works? Of course we are, but not because we're saved by good works, but because we're saved, we should produce good things. So whenever we think we can earn heaven by doing a lot of good stuff, or this is what a lot of Christians do in Southern Christian culture, hey, I'm going to heaven, I'm a good person. Do you know what our standard of good is compared to God's standard of good? The Bible says like a bunch of filthy rags. Nothing is good apart from Christ. There is no good apart from Christ. And whenever we become arrogant, thinking that we're just good people, we are actually starting to distance ourselves from Jesus Christ, okay? Last part, be patient with me, kind of a longer part. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders that God had done uh, through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking... James responded, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this. As it is written, After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. James says, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses, had that, who has had those, proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day, and he is read aloud in the synagogues. I'll explain that a little bit. So here's what happens, right, in this huge assembly. Peter stands up, and he talks about grace through faith. Paul and Barnabas stand up, and they're not going to add to that. They're just going to give evidence. Hey, we agree with Peter. Let us show you some evidence of grace through faith, all this stuff that they had done on their missionary journey. Now, after Peter and Paul speak, James, again, the, the literal brother of Jesus and the leader of this huge church, stands up and he's going to take charge. Now, here's what's interesting. At this point, the meeting has gone smoothly. There are a lot of churches that call this church, and we'll do consulting. Not We don't get paid or anything for it, but we'll, we'll go to other churches and help other churches and churches that are maybe struggling and things like that, and we love doing that kind of stuff you would be shocked at the reason why Christians divide in churches. We'd go to churches and, well, we had a church split because they wanted chairs and we wanted pews. And I'm like, really? You guys argued about that? Well, they wanted purple and we wanted red. Really? Like you cared that much about the carpet that a church split in half? Some of you have been to churches like that. Guys, just for the record, that is ridiculous. That is insane, right? But it happens, and it's nice to know that every once in a while Christians can get together, disagree, and it actually go well, right, and be civil. So James stands up, right? He takes the evidence from Peter, the evidence from Paul, this is very important, and he lines it up with Scripture. He doesn't just take their words for it, though he trusts them and loves them, he wants to line it up with the Word of God. And instead of James saying, God, how did we get here? James said, God, what are you trying to show us? What are you trying to tell us right now? Where do you want us to go? So here's what we get from that. This is extremely important. Whenever you and I feel like we get a revelation from God, we need to check it with the character of God, which is the Holy Bible. If we think we're hearing something from God, but it contradicts the Holy Word of God and the character and nature of God, you may have heard something, but it's not from God. So whenever a woman comes up to me and says, Corey, my my husband's just a pain in the butt. We argue all the time, and I think God's telling me to pursue this other man at work. You're laughing. You'd be shocked at how many times it happens. You might have heard something. You did not hear it from God because that's not in alignment with God's character when it comes to marriage, right? And so we need to check our revelations with the word of God. We must also learn, talking about what we talked about last week, When we go through different seasons of life, especially the hard seasons of life, we need to get out of the habit of every time something bad happens, looking up and being like, God, why? Right? Why? Instead, we should ask God, what are you trying to teach me during this time? We need to get it in our thick skulls that God loves us, right? God doesn't just periodically look at me and say like, I want to kick Corey around this week. That's, I don't think that's what God does, right? God loves me. So in hard times, God is trying to teach us things. He's trying to get things out of us, maybe remove some things from us. And we just need to be wise enough and humble enough to ask those questions. So just like Peter used the Old Testament to prove that something was of God, in Acts chapter 2, that was a long time ago if you were coming here, the day of Pentecost, that's when the church was birthed, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out, all these men and women ran out onto the street, they're speaking in tongues, and everyone's like, what in the heck is going on? And Peter says, no, look, we should have expected this because our prophets told us this was going to happen in Joel. So when this council was going on about Gentiles becoming Christians, James says we should have known this is gonna happen because it says so in the Bible, it says so in the book of Amos, that this is going to take place. So again, the the Pharisees that had become Christians, though, they really wanted to hold on to religion. They really wanted to hold on to tradition. But the problem was there was biblical proof that things were changing. There was biblical proof that it was going to be different. So James stands up in front of the assembly, and he makes a very, very important executive decision, right? He's come to a conclusion. This is what he says. He says, first, I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do. He looks at the huge assembly and he says, we are not going to cause difficulties for the Gentiles that turn to God. In other words, we are not going to force our Jewish customs and Jewish Old Testament onto our Old Testament laws, onto new Christians, okay? They are free of that. So he wanted to make that clear. The second thing he talks about, though, is this: he says, we're not going to do this, but we are going to talk about this. And he listed three things, okay? And he says, we are going to tell these new Gentile converts there are three things that we, make sure, we want to make sure that you do do, okay? The first one is this. Abstain from any kind of idol worship. Well, that's pretty easy, right? It's the first commandment, that we are to worship one God, right? And Jesus is the one God, right? So he says, first of all, no idol worship. We worship Jesus only. The second thing he mentions is sexual immorality, that all sexual practices should line up with biblical sexual practices, okay? One man, one woman for life. And so he says this is the second thing. Now the third one is a little confusing. No eating meat that has been strangled or meat that has blood in it, right? So don't go over to your friend's house and eat a pig that he choked himself. If you have friends like that, you probably shouldn't, right? (laughs) But this is kind of an odd rule, right? So what in the heck does this mean? So here's what's interesting. I I hope you guys think this is interesting. The list of dues, these three things, were exclusive to these new converts. Now, the first two of those, we still adhere to, right? We only worship Jesus, and our sexual purity is very, very important, right? So these things make sense to us. Now, the third one is interesting. If you know much about Jewish culture, to Jews, eating any kind of meat that had blood in it would have been offensive, and it would have been repulsive, And because most of the areas, if not all the areas, where these Gentiles were becoming Christians all throughout modern-day Turkey, and and it's going to go, of course, a lot further, there was still a huge population of Jews in those areas. And so because most of these Gentiles areas had many Jews, the council asked the Gentile Christians in these areas to respect law-keeping Jews, even if they didn't agree with them. So what we see from this third rule is something very important, that in the life of a Christian, courtesy and respect are important. So this is what James essentially said. To all of the Jewish Christians, accept the non-Jewish Christians without forcing your customs on them. All of you uh, Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, respect the Jewish Christians' cultures and laws when you're around them. What he means is this. If you're in one of these areas and you're a Gentile Christian and you invite a Jewish Christian friend over, serve them food that lines up with their customs and their beliefs. You don't have to do that, but you're doing it because you respect their convictions. You respect their customs and culture. What it boils down to is loving other people and we show people that we love them by being courteous and considerate. And guys, this is something that Christianity is not always good at. Sometimes because it's like the kid that knows he's right. Even though he may be right, we don't like to hang out with him because he's kind of a jerk, right? That's what Christianity has become sometimes. We know we have the truth, and we're kind of cocky about it sometimes. And and the Bible here is saying that's not the way we're to be with people. Respect people's cultures. Respect people. Be considerate with others when you're around them. So what happens is this. A minor issue actually becomes a major issue. Now, here's the thing, guys. You can eat any kind of meat you want nowadays if you're a Christian. You can eat the bloodiest steak you can possibly get. You can eat all kinds of pigs that were strangled. Again, a little weird, but you can do whatever you want. You can eat any kind of meat. But here's the thing. We are called to be wise enough to know that even though we can do something doesn't mean we always should do it. Just because we are permissible, it's permissible, doesn't always mean that it's profitable. Paul wrote that. So what does that mean in our day and age? Meat's not really an issue. That's not really something we argue about and debate about. But let's talk about drinking alcohol. Guys, This may I hope this doesn't offend you because it's not biblical. There is nothing in the Bible about drinking beer. Nothing wrong with drinking beer. Nothing wrong with having a glass of wine with your wife when you're out at dinner. There is nothing in the Bible about that. But here's where the scripture comes into play. Though it's not a sin for you to drink a beer, if you're having a new castle next to your friend that's only been sober for 90 days and is struggling out of alcoholism, you're an idiot. Though it's permissible, it's not profitable. It's not the right thing to do. And you become a stumbling block and so something that's a minor thing that you're allowed to do becomes a heart issue. It becomes a problem with us. Guys, have nothing against drinking, but be wise about it and don't cause others to stumble. It's kind of like if you have a curfew at a Christian college or even some of you teenagers. If you have a curfew now, breaking a curfew is not going to send you to hell, but disrespect and rebellion absolutely will. You guys with me? It's a heart matter. So this whole talk about meat was a heart issue. It was treat other people the the way you want to be treated issue. So here's what's fascinating about this meeting. They all agreed. Everyone in the room, the Pharisees who had become Christians, the Gentiles who had become Christians, the Jewish people who had become Christians in this room, they're all like, cool, James, we got it, right? We're on board. We're with you, right? Everyone's like, all right, you know, high fives all around, hugs all around, love you guys, see you later, good luck, all that stuff. They were in agreement, kind of. It lasted for about 50 years. And then if you study church history by about AD 100, these two different groups, these, these party of the Pharisees and basically the rest of Christianity, worshiped exclusively apart from each other. Only took about 50 years. Isn't that sad? But that's what we do. We still do it today. That's why we have so many denominations. That's why there's so much segregation between churches, because these little miners creep in and separate us. So, what are some cool things we've learned today? The first one is this. As Christians, we can have healthy conflict. You can have coffee with a Democrat or a Republican, right? Even if you disagree on that. Politics is just not the best thing to talk about with other people. You can disagree on minor things. You can even disagree with minor things within the faith. Father Finley at St. Patrick's uh, Anglican Church here in town, Very good friend of mine. We have lunch once a month. Every single month, he and I have lunch. A great man. We disagree on on certain things, but they're minor things. He believes in Christ, believes he's the only answer. So do I. So we have this in common, right? And we can handle disagreements in a Christ-like manner. Here's the thing. When it comes to major issues, what's your rule book? This is your rule book. Go to this. and the major issues, you have to go back to the Holy Bible. So here's the thing. We are to love and fellowship with all Christians despite our minor differences. I spoke at North Boulevard Church of Christ uh, two weeks ago. It was, it was awesome. They had 900 people come out on a Monday, and I got to speak and tell my testimony. And before I spoke, uh, uh, they don't do music there, right? It's, it's acapella. And they had 12 people or so doing acapella, and I'm sitting on the front row between uh, Pastor David, which I learned Church of Christ, don't call them pastors, they're ministers. I called him pastor like 18 times that night. So uh, <laughs> Pastor David was there. And then his assistant, Renee, was sitting to the right of me. And so they get done with the first song, and there's only like a couple of people that clap sporadically, and she leans over and goes, those must be your people because we don't clap. And uh, (laughs) it was, uh, yeah, it was... (laughs) But, but they were laughing about it, right? They were giggling about it. And then a bunch of our staff come, and our staff, like, we all wear, like, black and hoodies, so we look like a gang coming into, you know, <laughs> to rob their church. You know, Kyle comes in with his hoodie on and stuff. And, and, uh, but it was fun. But, but, but the point is this. We worship very differently, but they don't care, and nor should we. Man, just, you know, guitar, no guitar, I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about your relationship with Christ, And that's where we need to find common ground and start having more communication with other people, even if they're a little bit different than us. Here's the thing, losing a a relationship, if two Christians lose a relationship and burn a bridge over non-essential things, that is dumb. That is foolish and dumb that we can't get together and focus on the majors and advance the kingdom of Christ, right? The second thing we talked about today, which is actually pretty important, is that grace is given to us and it is not earned, that we cannot earn salvation. Salvation comes through grace, through faith. And when we try to think that we're good enough, right, or that we've done enough, we're in a bad spot. We will actually start to distance ourselves from God. Now, does this excuse laziness? No. Man, listen. James, the same guy that talked in here about being saved by by faith and by grace, is the same one to go on and later write the book of James where he said that faith without works is dead. It's not that our works save us, but when we are saved, just like, like Kyle was up here saying, when we are saved by God's grace, it should want us to work for his kingdom. We should want to do good things, to help our brothers and sisters, to help our community, and to give glory to God. That's why we do good works. The next thing we learned during this just short half chapter is that we are to honor one another. Who are we to love? Everybody. Absolutely everybody. How do we show love? We respect people. We're considerate and we're courteous to them. Listen, this is why it's an orange. Treating every single person you meet whether they're Buddhist or Muslim or atheist or Christian or a jerk or the nicest person ever, whoever you meet, that we are to treat all people like they are children made in the image of God the Father. That's how we are to treat everybody. We will never win people over to a God of love by hating them. We will only win them over by loving them. We are even called to love people that are not in the Christian faith. This doesn't mean that we condone their actions, but we still love them despite their actions. We don't condone it. We don't turn a blind eye to sin. Let me tell you an interesting story. There's a friend of mine. We've been friends now, gosh, about 16 years now, me and this gentleman. When my, when my wife and I first got married, we lived in a loft apartment right in downtown. And right below us, there was, there was a gentleman. He was single. He was in his 50s. Really nice guy. And the whole time we were friends, I always knew that he was homosexual. He was gay. We never brought it up because I loved him regardless, right? That's not the point. He would eat dinner with my wife and I, really good friends. I mean, like he had a key to our apartment if he ever needed anything, I had a key to his. I mean, we were just really, really good friends. We're for years and years and years and years, we still are today. I remember one time though, he came up to my apartment, at least he was at work or she was out doing something, I can't remember, we didn't have kids at the time. He came up to my apartment and he had been crying. I mean, like eyes red, just, just been crying really, really hard comes into my apartment and he sits down and he grabbed my Bible and he put it down and he said, Corey, I've never told you this, but, but I'm gay, I'm, I'm homosexual. And he says, will you tell me what this Bible says about my lifestyle? Now, before I, now, listen, before I even touched my Bible, I looked at him and I won't say his name, but I looked at him and I said, hey, look, before we get into that, I want you to understand something. Regardless of how you choose to live, my wife and I love you, you're always welcome in our home and if you ever need anything, I'll be the first one to be there for you. You just let me know. And he said, I know that, Corey. That's why I want to hear what you have to say. And I said, okay, we'll get into it. But first things first, I wanted him to know, regardless of the fact that he and I disagree, that I love him and respect him with all of my heart and that I would do anything for him. That's what we are called to do for everybody that we come in contact with, right? Here's the last thing that we learned today. And this is the one that I think may hit home with a lot of you that just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. The Bible calls us to be humble, meek, peacemakers, hungry for righteousness, merciful and pure in heart. Where do we get this? Jesus said that these people are blessed in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. These are called the Beatitudes, that these are the people that are blessed. This is what we're called to be. We're also called to be wise enough to know That even though I can do something, I may need, listen, I may need to sacrifice my freedom in order for the greater good. That's being very Christ-like. Christ was the creator of the universe. He could have done anything. He sacrificed his liberty and freedom to be hung on a cross so you and I could have liberty and freedom. And sometimes as Christians, though I can do this, maybe I shouldn't do this for the greater good. Maybe I should lay these freedoms down, right? So I can help out my brothers and sisters. So I can help out my community. So I can help out those around us. So we can advance the kingdom of God together. Hey, listen. These are practical things. Simple things. Not, you know, brain-busting, hard-to-understand things. Very simple things. But I hope you take these notes and I hope you think about them. I hope you pray about them. I hope you ask God to communicate with you and tell you. Maybe there's some things you need to lay down, not because they're sins, but maybe you just need to lay them down for the greater good of those around you. Listen, go out into your community. Man, Kyle said it during worship. Should have just let him preach, right? Kyle said it during worship. More than anything else that we need right now in the world is peacemakers. We need people who are bridge builders, who will go out and connect people and connect with, these, uh, with other people and love them despite all the other things. Why? Because God loves us despite all the junk about us. And we are to mimic that. We are to mirror that. We are to go be little Christs in the world around us. That's what that word means, right? I don't know if you remember that. Christian means little Christs. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be. Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Before I pray for you, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, uh, there will be men and women up here at the front to pray for you if you need anything. If you need prayer for anything you're going through in your life, or if you just need someone to talk to for a second, please let some of these men and women pray for you, okay? There's also communion all the way around you. Wherever you see a table with a lamp, there is communion there. That represents the body and blood of Jesus that was given to us, the sacrifice that God made so we could have freedom it represents that. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you were in this room and you are not a believer, you are not a Christian, A, I'm extremely glad that you're here. I hope you felt welcomed and comfortable. B, all I ask of people who are non believers that come to this church is just keep an open mind. Be objective, keep an open mind dig for answers, dig for the truth, and I give you my word, you will find the truth. I give you my word. For the rest of you in here, or for all of you in here, I wanna pray for you. Lord Jesus God, I pray that you bless every man and woman in this room. I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that you strengthen us. I pray that you fill us up with your Holy Spirit so we can go back out into our community and we can love others like you have loved us, God. Lord, that we can be kind, that we can be courteous, that we can be considerate, that we can sacrifice for other people's needs, Lord. We love you, Father, and we thank you, and we are so blessed, God. Keep your hand on us until we meet again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys to death. You're welcome to help yourself to prayer and communion all the way around you. Thank you, guys.